Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Welcome everyone to episode 25 of True Blue True Crime. My name's Sean and with me as always is my co-host Chloe. How are you? Hi, good. What are we doing here? Yeah, surprise. We're here with a full-length episode despite saying we'd be having the week off. (laughs) Inspiration struck and we thought we'd we'd, we'd back it up. So here we are. Yeah, here we are. Spontaneous inspiration and 15 odd hours of writing at an ungodly hour for you, Sean. (laughs) Something like that, yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) We've just wrapped up our monthly Blue Label episode on Patreon and that's out now. It's a dark one. We might discuss it uh, some more at the end of this episode, but we have some more Patreon shout-outs, Chloe. We do. Hello and welcome to Megs Campbell, MJ Howard, Kaylee, Mike Ring, Kelly Olsen, Shay Reynolds, Zaharia Alina, Aisling Stein-McGee, Jess, Nicole Fails, and Nicola Morton. Thanks very much for the support, everyone. Much appreciated. Today we're talking about a case that was suggested by one of our listeners, Ryan, who mentioned this case in our Facebook group a few weeks back now. I had a quick look at it at the time, but came back to it just a couple of days ago now, and I felt like it was the right time to tell this story and hopefully raise some awareness around it, because it's a true mystery, this one. And it takes place over in Western Australia, about 30 kilometres outside of a small old gold mining town called Sandstone. And while that might sound like a place out of an old Sergio Leone spaghetti western movie, there'd be no Clint Eastwood sashaying into town to save the day in this tale. Flagged it as items of interest, but we can confirm 
these items found are not human remains. At this point in time, we're not seeing anything that suggests criminality. Are you serious? Yes. There's nothing suspicious about this? At this point in time, we're saying there is no evidence to, of any criminality. However, we are making sure that we investigate it thoroughly and we look at all the possibilities. Western Australia is the biggest state on landmass in this country. Alongside the populous regions of Perth and Fremantle are the pristine coastal regions such as Broome, and much of the population is centralised in these larger cities. But further inland are the remote desert regions and outback that our country is famous for, regions such as the Kimberley and the Pilbara. This is harsh, rugged terrain, remote, picturesque, beautiful, and at times, deadly. It was actually in the Kimberley that gold was first discovered back in 1885. There'd be further discoveries thereafter, seemingly growing in size and promising greater riches, at Southern Cross in 1888, Coolgardie in 1892, and then Mount Charlotte in 1893. So these finds really brought a stream of prospectors to the area, all seeking their own personal fortunes and glory. And it bolstered the large state's previously tiny European population, which until this time had been struggling to make ends meet. Guys like William Ford, Arthur Bailey, Paddy Hannan and Tom Flanagan led the way for a generation of immigrants with gold rush fever. Many a mineshaft, pits of untold wealth, were carved out in the red West Australian outback. But like all good things, the gold rush era came to an end and Australians moved on, looking for other ways to achieve financial greatness. Pyramid schemes and cryptocurrency trading is probably a modern-day equivalent where a lone few have prospered and many more have had their dreams dashed. But the old-school art of prospecting for gold still lives on in a select niche community of people who, deep down, are still holding hope to find one of those elusive nuggets – And although not probable, it is possible. A few examples of modern-day finds are... The Ozrox Nugget. It's the world's third largest gold nugget in existence, weighing at 23.6 kilograms. It was found by an anonymous prospector in April of 2010 from the eastern goldfields near Kalgoorlie. And there's the Golden Stonefish Nugget. This is a commercial nugget found by Janet Mears. It weighed just over 7 kilograms and was found in northern Kalgoorlie in 2004. And then you've got the Normandy nugget, which was found by another anonymous prospector in Kalgoorlie in 1995. Now, this nugget's currently owned by an Australian mining company. The 23-kilogram lump of almost pure gold is now worth well over a million dollars. But those finds are an absolute rarity. In reality, most modern-day prospectors enjoy the hunt and the ambience and serenity that goes along with the hobby. It's very much a pastime, a time to camp and enjoy with friends and like-minded souls who share a quaint view of a bygone era and secretly like to think the modern array of tools like metal detectors might just one day snare them the motherlode. 
But 100 years on, many of those mine shafts in the remote desert outback of Western Australia still exist. With the passage of time, have become dilapidated and treacherous. Some even have rotted wood boards concealing their entrances, effectively making them hidden trapdoors for the unsuspecting prospector straying from the beaten path. The remoteness of the area is only matched by its sheer size and disorientating facade. With over a million square miles of nothing and everything a mirror image of itself, it's a very easy place to get lost. And if you do lose your way, it's not only your chance of finding gold that you could lose... It could also be your life. 47-year-old Raymond Callett and his wife, 49-year-old Jenny Callett, were preparing to head off on a prospecting trip in March 2015. The couple came from the suburb of Beverley in Western Australia, which is about an hour and 45 minutes east of Perth. Ray and Jenny were both on their second time around, having both been married before. Jenny had three children to her former partner, Jim Keegans. They were named Darcy, Kelly and Brittany. And Ray had two kids of his own named Charmaine and Melanie. The pair worked for a company named FMG at the Cloudbreak Mine and they were avid campers and outdoorsy people. They had a good working knowledge of the outback, basic first aid and a good awareness of their health and safety in the often harsh outback. Ray was a particularly cautious guy and exemplary with his safety precautions. For example, he'd wear a rope around his waist with a chain attached that would drag along the ground behind him, so on the off chance he lost his way, he could retrace his steps. But he was a fun-loving bloke at heart. Described as larger than life, he was a diligent worker and loved nothing more than to finish an honest day's work, knock back a few beers and have a hearty chuckle with friends and family. Jenny, too, was a very capable woman and very aware of her own safety when heading into these remote areas for a camping or a prospecting trip. But more than anything else, Jenny was said to be extremely loving and caring, a woman of great fortitude with a spirit and personality that matched and complemented that of her husband, Ray. Everyone adored Jenny and Ray, and the only thing they loved as much as one another and their children was their beautiful Great Dane named Ella. So on March the 19th, 2015, Ray, Jenny and their pup Ella headed off towards the remote outback town of Sandstone. Sandstone is around 730 clicks northeast of Perth, so it was a fair hike for them from Beverley. Sandstone is a very small community in an isolated area, It has around 90 people living there. It has a history of gold mining and prospecting and the Kellets were planning on setting up a camp at a spot called Bell Chambers. This was near an area called Tabletop, which was about 30 kilometres out of Sandstone, the only slither of civilisation around these parts. But the trio weren't alone. Along for the trip was their friend named Graham Milne. The Kellets had worked with Graham and he was known to their family as a good friend and very close to both Ray and Jenny. Graham had taught the Kellets most of what they knew about prospecting. He was quite experienced in the art form, I guess you'd call it. Indeed, it was mostly his equipment the trio would be using on this trip. Ray and Graham had researched this area in particular quite a bit and come to the conclusion it'd be a good spot to go. Graham had been there before, 
and there was potentially a few areas that old-timers might have overlooked. Graham was very much one of these blokes who liked the ambience of the hobby, the bush, the freedom, and the open space. And it was likely this aspect that the Callets were planning to enjoy as well as they drove via Payne's Find down Sandstone Road to their camp at Bell Chambers. Along with an ample supply of camping equipment and food and water stores, they had with them two quad bikes, two cars and two trailers. Over the next couple of days, it's likely the trio conducted their prospecting activities in the area, hoping to strike it lucky. Graham had taught the couple abseiling, it was said, so perhaps they went down a few mine shafts, who knows. What we do know is that in typical prospecting style, Ray, Jenny and Graham hadn't told anyone precisely where they were going. Family and friends knew they were away prospecting, sure, but the location on these trips is often kept on the down low. The reasoning for this being that prospectors generally don't want others knowing where their special spots are. If they hit the big time and find a big chunk of the gold stuff, the last thing anyone in that situation would want to do is share that knowledge. Splitting a million dollars several ways isn't as appealing for obvious reasons. On March the 21st, Jenny cooked up a big breakfast for the trio, and at some point, Alla the Great Dane became distracted by something and took off running. Ray got on his quad bike and Jenny borrowed Graham's, and the pair took off in two different directions after Alla to try and round her up. Apparently this wasn't the first time on the trip Alla had taken off. Back at camp, Graham decided to tidy up and head off prospecting for the day. In fact, he went for the entire day and most of the night and didn't see his friends during this time. Graham returned to camp around 3am on the morning of March the 22nd. Everything was quiet in camp and seemed normal. Alla was back and he assumed Ray and Jenny were asleep in their tent. He left shortly after this to return to Perth for work without saying goodbye to his friends. Being so early in the morning, he didn't feel that it was right to go knocking on their tent at that time when they presumably knew he was planning to take off at this time anyway. So that was that. Graham left and Ray and Jenny were set to stay out at Bell Chambers for a further unknown period of time to continue prospecting. And this is where the tale turns dark. The red outback, an enjoyable prospecting trip, going grey and nightmarish for the Kellets, and in time, their family and friends. About one week later, so this would be towards the very end of March, the Kellett's dog, Ella, shows up at the Sandstone Caravan Park. The black pup was severely dehydrated and emaciated, having walked 30 kilometres from the Bell Chambers campsite. Police were notified and were able to use Ella's microchip information to speak with the relevant authorities in Beverly leading them to contact relatives of Ray and Jenny so they could contact them in turn to retrieve Allah. So this line of inquiry led police out to Bell Chambers and to the Callet's campsite. Upon arrival, they noticed the two vehicles, a decent stock of food and water, but there was no sign of Ray or Jenny. Some food at the camp had begun to ferment in the hot conditions, so this indicated to police that the Kellets, wherever they were, had been gone for some time. But the camp seemed neat and tidy otherwise, and there were no signs of struggle or anything awry. So first thoughts immediately were that they had gotten lost. 
Many locals even commented that the area was harsh, desolate, unforgiving, and even they, having lived there for most of their lives, could have got lost out there. And this was backed up by statistics. In the preceding two years, 22 prospectors had gone missing in the remote Western Australian outback. Not this spot specifically, but in the general region, huge as it was. It was joked on some forums online that the place was like the outback's answer to the Bermuda Triangle. A man named Michael Graham had died while prospecting near Menzies following a month-long search just the year before, in 2014. Around this time, a fellow named John Jimenez also went missing while prospecting in the Laverton area. Jimenez would go on to be found, like most, but the search for the Callets wouldn't prove so fruitful. Police, volunteers and state emergency services would launch full-scale land and air searches in the following weeks, several times seeking out the couple. A search coordination centre was set up in Sandstone and the search crews would abseil down over a hundred old mine shafts looking for the pair. As time went on, family and friends of the Callets would have undoubtedly began to despair as they howled out for news and clung to the hope that Ray and Jenny would be located safely. Unfortunately... That wasn't to be the case. In April, about three weeks after Ray and Jenny had gone missing... Police discovered decomposed remains at the bottom of a disused mine shaft located approximately two kilometres north of the campsite. To begin with, police didn't think the body was Ray's or Jenny's due to the state of decomposition, but ultimately the remains would be forensically tested and determined to be that of Raymond Callot. Police took the initial stance that there was nothing to rouse suspicion that there was no indication of any criminality. It was said that his injuries were allegedly consistent with the 12-metre fall into the mine shaft, but there were a number of oddities that would surface in the ensuing investigation that would have many people thinking otherwise. While police couldn't detail Ray's cause of death, they did confirm he wasn't shot or burned, but there was a possibility that he had been pushed. Paranoid as that sounded... There were factors that led suspicious minds in this direction. Ray didn't have a shirt on. And you get guys like that, it hits 25 degrees, they pump out a few sets of push-ups and show some skin in kind of like a primal display, like a peacock preening its tail feathers. But Ray Kellett wasn't one of those guys, according to his family. He wasn't one to go parading around with his shirt off. You could contend that maybe he got a bit hot in the arid climate while prospecting, It was a warm time of year. But then that contention highlights another strange factor. There was a noticeable absence of any prospecting equipment found around where Ray's body was discovered, both under and above ground. So if he had been prospecting, where was his equipment? We mentioned he fastidiously wore that rope and chain when prospecting for safety reasons. So where was that? This wasn't the only gear that was absent from the location Ray had been found and the campsite. A metal detector, a detector coil and a GPS were also missing. Additionally, Ray's wallet was also found with no cash. 
Some pointed to this being odd for a bushman heading into the outback without an ATM in sight. That's a debatable point in this day and age. You could also ask why would he even need cash out there with all of the other supplies. But it was potentially in keeping with Ray's personality to keep some cash on him. Also in line with that was the couple's keys being found inside their vehicles. This was something family pointed to as being odd, because Ray was OCD with his keys, apparently. He'd even taken his gun safe keys with him because he didn't like leaving them lying around at home. Again, a subjective point, Ray had taken his rifle with him, so it's also logical to think that's why he had the gun safe keys, so he could get the rifle, then put it away as soon as he got back home. But speaking of his rifle, this was discovered in the back seat of Ray's car fully loaded. It was quickly pointed out that this was another strange point for when safety reasons, it's highly unusual to leave a firearm sitting in a vehicle or anywhere for that matter, loaded with ammunition, unless it was intended to be used immediately. A can of pepper spray was also found nearby between the camp and where Ray's body was located. The couple's quad bike was also found around 500 metres from the camp, another point that didn't add up. Why would they abandon the quad and not park near where they intended to stop? The mine shaft where Ray's body was discovered was located near a track that was accessible by a vehicle. It wasn't amongst some undulating rocky outpost, this mine shaft. So that further supported the possibility that someone could have backed up a car and dropped or pushed Ray down the shaft. But the most glaring mystery after the discovery of Ray's body was Jenny's vanishing. There was no sign of her. If something had happened to her, surely her body would be nearby too. If something had happened to Ray and she sought help and come unstuck attempting this, again, there'd be some kind of trace of her. But there was nothing. Back at the campsite, it was said the only tracks that could be seen were that of their dog, Ella. It was also noted there'd been some rain during the past couple of weeks, so any tracks could have been washed away. But it's strange that no human tracks were prevalent, yet the dog paw prints were. Immediately, my mind goes to Aboriginal trackers in this scenario. You know, get a Jimmy James type in there to suss this mess out. But as we've covered in the past, sadly, this is an expired art form these days. Police and emergency services would conduct several searches in the time after the discovery of Ray's body, trawling the scrubland in hopes of finding Jenny. These expanded searches would cover a mobile phone tower, the abandoned Bell Chambers mine, and two areas the couple had marked in their notebooks with GPS coordinates. These areas were possibly alluding to those secret-type prospecting spots we mentioned earlier because they were not near any known tracks. We'll post a map of all these locations so you can see a visual. Sadly, the biggest search ever undertaken in the state of Western Australia would yield no clues as to what happened to Jenny Callett. Police would come out in the time around these searches and request to speak with anyone who may have seen a vehicle of interest. And this was in the morning of March the 22nd, south of Tabletop Camp on the Sandstone Painsfine Road. Police had previously called for reports on anyone who'd seen a white Toyota Hilux four-wheel drive, but they wouldn't confirm if this was the same or a different vehicle. They noted this vehicle of interest was south of Tabletop Camp. It was a four-wheel drive towing a trailer with a quad bike on the back of it. 
So this was an odd thing. In such a remote area, where had this info came from? Guessing that it came from Graham Milne, as he was still there in the wee morning hours of March the 22nd. But if someone else had seen this vehicle, had they seen Graham departing perhaps? Or Ray and Jenny driving one of their own vehicles? Or an unknown third party? The weeks went on and Ray and Jenny's families continued dealing with the loss and numbing unknown. On the 3rd of November 2015, it was reported that the property of a 63-year-old man at Medina had been searched, with police seizing an array of items for forensic testing. Reports also indicated the man was assisting with inquiries. So this man was Graham Milne, the Kellett's friend who had taken a trip with them but mysteriously left at 3am without saying goodbye. He'd also not called them on a sat phone or otherwise in the days thereafter to say thanks for the weekend and have a good couple of weeks, assuming they had one. Graham Milne, being the last person to see Ray and Jenny, understandably came under a lot of suspicion in the time after this. He was interviewed by Alex Cullen of the Sunday Night Programme and questioned about the trip and what might have happened. Milne said, quote, I don't know. I've run through all sorts of different scenarios, possibilities, and nothing makes sense. Just nothing makes sense at all. I can't stop people drawing their own conclusions. You're going to get that. Doesn't matter what, people are going to say things. Graham added that the ordeal had been sheer hell and that he thinks about the Kellets every day. Graham shed many a tear on the Sunday night episode, which many people liken to crocodile tears in the critical online world of interweb commentary. And look, while Graham's display might have had him looking like a weathered, babbling, poor man's Martin Sachs, we know that people act and react very differently in situations like this. We've seen it time and time again where people are hung out to dry in the court of public opinion based on how they're perceived to be dealing with things versus how the general public thinks they should be dealing with it. So again, it's a subjective point that needs to be taken for what it is. All that aside, there are some obvious things about Graham Milne's story that don't make a whole lot of sense. And we'll get to those points in a moment. First, we're going to play a clip here of Liam Bartlett, a journalist who's written many articles about this case and has been fairly gung-ho in his quest for answers. We have a special report now on the outback disappearance of Jenny Kellett and the death of her husband Raymond. The Kellett's disappeared near Sandstone in the goldfields. Liam Bartlett, it's almost 11 weeks. Emmy, Tim, that's exactly right. Jenny and Raymond were last seen alive back in March. It's getting close to three months now and still there are no answers for the families. No answers from police investigators either and no answers from the man who went prospecting with them. Graham Milne was a workmate of the Beverly couple and the last known person to see them before they went missing. William Bartlett, Graham, Nine News. I'd like to ask Graham when he last saw them, what they were doing, where they were going. How are you going? Were they in camp? Weren't they in camp? We'd just like to have a talk to you, please, about Raymond and Jenny Kellett. I'd like to be able to talk to Graham about that face to face. Jim Keegan's is desperate for any clues that could help solve the mystery disappearance of his ex-wife and mother to his three children, Jenny Kellett. Jenny and her husband Raymond were encouraged to go prospecting back in March by a friend and workmate, Graham Milne. You were the reason they went to Sandstone. Can you tell us what you think happened to them? 
Tragically, the couple never came home. An initial police search discovered Raymond's body at the bottom of an abandoned mine shaft. Nine zero. Nine zero, very decomposed. Jenny was nowhere to be found. Police returned for another, more extensive search four weeks later. But again, no trace. A public plea for information centred on missing prospecting equipment that police thought Jenny Kellett may have discarded. All the prospecting gear that the police want found, it's all yours, Graham. The metal detector, that's yours. I know the detectives have talked to you. What have they said to you? Graham, why won't you talk to us? There's a mother still missing. Graham Milne taught the couple how to abseil and introduced them to the world of amateur prospecting. He's told police that he left their shared campsite at Sandstone early on the morning of Sunday, March 22nd, in order to return to Perth. They've interviewed him uh, in relation to it. Uh, I know he went back up to the site and was helping police with uh, showing where they'd been prospecting and things like that. The police refused to discuss this case, and it's not surprising. Just 10 days ago, the investigation ran into a brick wall when at least two, possibly three, of its senior detectives were stood aside over an internal investigation into a bungled murder case that they worked on back in 2010. For the Kellett family, that means more delays and even more questions. The guys that have been on the job since the start have all seem to have disappeared. And now we've got a new cast and crew coming in to look at a, uh, uh, a case that's been in the system for 10, 11 weeks. Jim is hoping that some of the blank spaces in this grim mystery may be filled by Jenny and Raymond's friend, Graham Milne. Although there is no suggestion Graham is a suspect in this case. What condition were they in when you left them? No comment. Out of my road, please. Well, what did they say to you? Out of my road. We really need to find Jenny, uh, find out what happened. And, and give everybody some closure. Um, let the kids know what happened to mum and uh, put this thing to bed. So Jenny Kellett's adult children know that the chances of finding her alive, obviously now, are incredibly slim. But either way, Tim, Emmy, they just want to know what happened and where their mum is. So obviously there's some fired up people wanting answers here, and understandably so, for the grieving families coping with loss and the unknown. So before we get into a few points on Graham Milne's story, we just wanted to reiterate that he's not been deemed a suspect by police. We're certainly not suggesting he is. Couldn't be clearer about that. He's been cooperative according to police, and as noted in the clip there, he re-attended the site with them. And by all reports, the family regard him as a close friend and a decent man. Indeed, it was Jenny's own kids who said in the uh, Sunday night program that he was a regular visitor and a good bloke. But what we can say, to the layman anyway, there are a number of things in his story that don't add up. And these are the things that Jim Keegan's, Jenny's ex-husband, is probably referring to in that clip. Again, Graham may well have explained all of this to police to their satisfaction, and there could be entirely plausible reasons for these things, and the gaps may well have been officially filled in. But the gaps still exist for many in the public who don't have access to the sealed investigation file. Here's Bartlett again on Radio 96 FM, speaking with Carmen and Fitzy. 
Liam Bartlett with the news in brief. A fight has erupted between a group of Australians during a baseball game on the side of the Mitchell Freeway. Now they're demanding the state government use pepper spray. I think Liam Bartlett's good. Nice bit of kit that, isn't it? Yeah, great story. <laughs> Liam Bartlett, very good morning. Nine <laughs> news, intro. Sunday Times. Yeah, Blackers. How are you, mate? Fitzy, Carmen. I'm glad we got in there, the lady that loves Liam. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm, yeah, I'm pleased. Bartlett. I'm pleased that's still there. Yeah. It's she's, the only she's, thing. It's my she's only wonderful re- redeeming feature. <laughs> I'll tell you what, this uh, is Perth nervous that Liam Bartlett's based in Perth now because whenever you see Liam striding across the road with a camera behind him, oh, come on, mate. It's time to run. You make me out to be some sort of. No, you're very good at what you do. Sixty minutes reporter, <laughs> <laughs> big ogre. Well, look, you know, there was. You did get in the face of a man named Graham Milne last night. We saw this on um, Nine News. Yeah. Now, um, you wanted to ask him some questions, yep. as you say, police have done in relation to Raymond and Jenny Keller. They're friends, yeah. Yeah. and this is the couple who disappeared while prospecting. I know, the and there's worked, still a huge question mark over this whole thing. And yeah. we, worked for Cloudbreak. Lots of people in this in Perth know this couple. Have yeah. worked with them up north, and yeah. because Liam's spoken to his lawyers in depth, uh, as in your TV station's lawyers, we probably should hand it over to you now because we haven't discussed yeah. this with any lawyers, <laughs> so we don't know what we can and can't say <laughs> yeah. before karma goes any further. <laughs> I think that would be a very, very <laughs> wise idea. Just calm down, calm. <laughs> calm down, calm and calm down. Why did you want to talk to Graham so much? Well, I, look, I'll tell you the reason we wanted to ask him so many questions, because um, there are so many questions. I mean, let's face it, there's still a lady still missing, uh, a mother still missing somewhere. And um, I just find it amazing the way it's been played out publicly, this whole story. Because Mm. I don't, correct me if I'm wrong here in my perception or interpretation, but I don't think anybody realised the way that the police rolled out the, the, the disappearance from day one, that there were actually three people at that camp. No, I actually first didn't overheard know. of it first was your report yep, last right, night. Didn't right. know anything about it. Well, thank you, because that's what struck me as incredibly strange right from the get-go, from the moment that I discovered that actually there was a third person there. That there's, in fact, this person, the Graham that you're talking about, mm-hmm. Carmen, is the guy that encouraged them, uh, taught them prospecting, and encouraged them to go to Sandstone, and was the reason essentially that they were there. And he ends up being the last known person to have seen them alive. So, I, you know, I thought that was a fascinating uh, uh, place to start, Fitzy. Reasonable place to start. So we, we thought we'd, you know, ask him some questions. And, and I think the other thing that's really interesting about this case um, is, is the story, the story as we know it and as the police know it, is the story according to him. Okay. Because, you see, he's helping he's police. Witness. Well, well, he's he's been helping police with the scenario surrounding the whole going up there and how he left and telling the police because there's no one else to tell the police this. Mm. Uh, tell the police, you know, what sort of state they were in when he last saw them, what they said, what they what he did, you know, when he left, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I know he went back to the site, for example, as we said in the story last night. Um, to help police with their inquiries. And uh, that's the story that police know. So I find that doubly interesting. But, yeah, look, it's a fascinating case. But we want to try to stay on it, Blackers, because Mm. obviously um, the Jenny Killett's children, 
who are adult children, two, sort of 20, 23 and 25, lovely, they, lovely kids. They like, deserve an answer. She's a lovely family. And mm. um, they, they do. They're desperate for, for an answer. And, you know, as you would be, I would mm. be. I mean, Yeah, of course we all I would be. Family, I find, an and, and, and to be fair, and to Ray, Raymond Kellett's family, really lovely people from up Beverly Way, good country people, and uh, and and they, you know, still want to know because they they are not convinced with the story that they've got. Right. And really, it's only fair that I mean, if, if the police suddenly turn around eventually and go, oh, well, she's just missing, uh, we'll all just move on. That That's not right. I mean, you know, they've got to keep going. There are enough question marks, or there seems to be, mm. my perception, there seems to be quite enough question marks about this whole thing instance of yeah. their disappearance and uh, Dean's death, that they've just got to keep going till they actually find the real mm. answer. Oh, I think you're 110% right. Firstly, it's odd that Graham would go all this way for a couple of days, then take off at 3am in the morning to head back to Perth after an entire day and night's prospecting without a word to his friends either at the time or in the days thereafter. Even the scenario where Alice supposedly ran off and Ray and Jenny both took off on quads to go after her, that seems strange to react like that. Or that you'd take such a flighty dog on a trip like this when they would be presumably spending extended periods down mineshafts prospecting. It's also strange that Graham would not help them retrieve the dog, but just take care of himself after Jenny had cooked them all breakfast and take off prospecting on his lonesome all day and night. He mentioned that he and Ray had done a lot of the research together and come to the decision together to go out to Sandstone. So it's a reasonable inference to think they shared details of one another's little prospecting spots and would have likely crossed paths during the day. Also, we're not prospectors, but is it common to prospect into the night? I would have thought lighting conditions would severely impede the ability to do that, not to mention the safety aspect. But even if it was possible or regularly done, the fatigue that would set in surely would be significant after an entire day and night's prospecting. So it's strange that Graham decided to return to camp and drive home right away at 3am, having had no sleep several hundred kilometres back to Perth for work the next day. I mean, this is a 63-year-old man. That's some serious fortitude and match fitness right there to pull a 48-hour awake stretch after prospecting and to back it up with a day's work. I know 23-year-olds that couldn't pull that off. But also, I go back to Ella the dog. Was she restrained when he got back to camp? Seems odd that Graham saw the dog outside of the Callet's tent and thought nothing of it. Had the dog not taken off several times to that point? Again, none of these things point to Graham's guilt and we're not suggesting that. We're just saying they are points in his story that we have that we could do with further clarification. And there may be very reasonable explanations for these things that completely remove that doubt. It might be a done thing to prospect through the night. Ella might have been a flighty dog who the Kellets just loved to bits. It might be a known thing that you don't share prospecting spots and go it alone, even when going with friends. And the early morning departure, long-haul drive, might be entirely consistent with Graham Milne's personality. He might have pulled many trips like that before. If this was the case, then we have some consistency. Instead, there exists only ambiguity to this day, with the limited snippets of this story we have from Graham Milne and the police file which is understandably sealed tight. 
At the 12-month anniversary of the Kellett's trip, Ray's brother released a statement on behalf of their family. The statement asked for anyone with information to come forward to authorities. He said, It's been 12 months now since Ray and Jenny left home to travel north on their fateful prospecting trip. These 12 months have taken a heavy toll. It has been the family's belief from early on that foul play was involved, although the motivations for such a thing to occur to them is inexplicable. Ray and Jenny were a hard-working, family-orientated, loving couple with hearts of gold who travelled to Sandstone primarily to get away from it all and secondly with the hopes of striking it rich. The subsequent events and lack of closure have been devastating. Although we now have Ray in body and have celebrated his life through a funeral, we still do not have Jenny back, nor are we any closer to finding out what may have happened. Western Australian Police Minister Michelle Roberts subsequently announced a $250,000 reward for information to solve the case, and the local pub at Sandstone has a little tribute there for Ray and Jenny. Their kids too have released a statement acknowledging police efforts and asking for people who might know something to come forward. The statement read, The last two years have seen our family caught in an agonising and exhausting limbo, desperate for answers and for closure. We are thankful that the police are still actively pursuing answers for our family and hope that the offer of a reward may bring together the missing pieces of our family's tragedy. We urge anyone with information to please come forward and bring our family some peace. So that's very sad for Jenny and Ray's family. Ray's fate, obviously, but the lack of closure and not knowing what has happened to Jenny would also be almost paralysing at times, you would think. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. But now we get to some theories, and there are many. So, the first theory suspected by police and many others was that the couple had met their fates by misadventure, by accident. They'd fallen into one of the many unregulated, dilapidated mine shafts and met their tragic fates. 
The obvious problem with this theory is that Jenny hasn't been found after searches of over 100 of these mine shafts in the local surrounds, and Ray has, only two kilometres away. But then you could hypothesise that perhaps Ray had fallen, Jenny had left to get help, possibly on foot or flag someone down, and something had subsequently happened to her, either at the hands of a third party or the harsh outback. Sounds far-fetched, but these things do happen. In 2015, a 27-year-old plumber named Dane Kowalski was found dead in the desert after an extended search in the remote desert beyond Cooperpedi, and it turned out he'd been bitten by a snake. He'd left a note behind saying what had happened. So these things do occur, and it's possible Jenny's body just hasn't been found. She might have had that missing prospecting gear on her, although it was a heavy load to carry, as I understand. But whenever you're discussing theories, before getting to the seemingly more sensational, you have to address the age-old Occam's razor principle of the most simple explanation being the most likely. So I'd put forward what if Graham Milne was telling the truth, and the dog had taken off, and while Ray and Jenny were trying to round her up, and Graham took off to prospect, Ray fell down the shaft trying to get their dog Ella. Maybe she'd gotten close and he panicked, didn't want her to fall, subsequently slipped and fell himself. Might explain why the quad was left in no man's land, why he had no gear with him. He might have stopped and gone after her on foot once close. It's possible. But again, it doesn't explain Jenny's movements and it leads to more questions. Presumably she returned to camp on Graham's quad that she borrowed, because I'm guessing he took that back with him to Perth. Again, that would mean he would have had to load the quad upon his return at 3am, which surely would have meant starting it and potentially waking his friends if they were indeed asleep in the tent. Wouldn't they have stirred and roused to say goodbye? More questions with no answers. Now we get to the theory of foul play. So there's certainly a number of indicators that stand out to family and friends as being inconsistent with Ray and Jenny's normal behaviours. While that can be insightful, it's also easy to misconstrue and weigh more heavily. This was reportedly only their second time prospecting, so they could have still been establishing new behaviours. Still, it's odd that things like a loaded gun and pepper spray were located, indicating security measures, yet keys were left in car ignitions. Those points are in opposition to one another. And the reasons for foul play? Well, it could be random, a thrill killing, but that's rare and unlikely. A comment I saw online in a prospecting forum probably says it best and leads neatly to a more likely reasoning behind this. With gold comes greed. Did Ray and Jenny strike it lucky and come across their golden windfall? And someone caught wind of this and wanted not just a piece, but the entire chunk for themselves. Was that someone the Callots knew or someone they didn't? Someone random or someone they'd stumbled across on their trip out there, perhaps? This third-party four-wheel drive we've heard the police mention. You know, money does funny things to people, no doubt about that. They can be driven to despicable acts in search of financial prosperity. Still, there's holes in this theory too. If they had discovered gold and someone had gone to lengths to take it from them, a logical follow-up question is how easy would it be for them to convert that gold into money? I don't know the answer to that, 
but I would have thought it would be more difficult to do than, say, washing cash through a business or across the poker tables at a casino. Perhaps that's a question for any knowledgeable jewellers or metal merchants out there. Is there a way to convert gold to cash without raising too many alarms or leaving a paper trail? Another angle to consider here, and it's a tough one to discuss, but it's the possibility that Jenny has done a runner for a range of reasons. Maybe something happened between her and Ray, something with a third party, something linking back to the gold maybe. It's a bit of a wilder and speculative angle that it would be remiss to not at least point out. But of the theories, it has to be the least probable because of how out of character it would be. All reports of Ray and Jenny were that they were inseparable and in a loving relationship. Jenny herself was a loving and caring mother. You know, to think she'd left with someone or done a runner because she'd found a chunk of gold seems quite far-fetched. Especially when you consider she would have been leaving not just her three kids but her dog behind as well. So it's a wild card, that one. In that prospecting forum I mentioned before, too, a user named Metamorphic mentioned something along the lines of tracker dogs losing the couple's scent would indicate they'd been picked up in a third-party vehicle or perhaps even a chopper. While there's some logic behind the tracking dog comment, I would think someone would have seen and heard a chopper, remote as the area is. Also, I'm not sure if tracking dogs were used, I haven't read that, although it's a reasonable inference to make considering the searches conducted. This user also mentioned that if Jenny had perished above ground, circling eagles would have pointed to her resting place. Again, we're no experts on birds of prey, so if anyone listening is, please feel free to reach out to us. Do eagles, hawks, other carrion-seeking Australian birds circle decomposing bodies like, say, a, a vulture would? We've already had a Bermuda Triangle comment. I don't think we'll go down the extraterrestrial path here. I think those can be reasonably discounted. But that's just it when it comes to the theories on what happened to Raymond and Jenny Callett. Both cases remain open with the aforementioned reward in place. And there's two families and many friends still hurting and grieving and searching for answers here. If anyone has any information on the whereabouts of Jenny Callett or the death of Raymond Callett, please contact Crime Stoppers on 1800 333 000 or you can visit crimestopperswa.com.au and report your information anonymously if you wish. So, so many unknown things here and parts that we don't have answers to. It's super frustrating. I guess my thoughts are around that I'm so sad for their families and that they haven't been able to lay Jenny to rest. I tend to think that maybe something happened to them, um, especially if they had started out prospecting the bush is an unwieldy beast and I think people sometimes underestimate it even if you are from around that area and do have safety precautions one unexpected thing goes wrong and that can be it sometimes for people um I don't know about the other theories or the foul play I'm not quite sure anything like that happened but I definitely do wish that Jenny was laid to rest and is at least resting in peace now. Um, Sean, your thoughts? Yeah, it definitely seems like the, you know, like we said, the most logical sort of explanation. Uh, but as you said about the safety aspect, you know, I read something along the lines of uh, there was an expert saying that 
these prospectors and people going out to these remote spots, you know, there's these sort of personal beacons, these personal GPS yeah. sort of things that that people should have as a um, as a matter of course, you know, uh, yeah. when they go out to these spots. So it's definitely an important factor. You know, it's a real head scratcher, this one. I tend to think that the police would obviously know a hell of a lot more than what is out there in the public arena. I just think a lot of these questions we've pointed out along the way here probably do have answers in the official file. If they didn't, I'd be worried because there's glaring omissions and things requiring clarification in order to get closer to what actually happened to Ray and Jenny. Yeah. It's very easy to get conspiratorial with all of that and go to foul play. No doubt Graham Milne's story that we've heard has many holes, but as we said, you know, he may well have filled them in with police and that might have all checked out. So that's all he's obliged to do and he may well be genuinely grieving the loss of his friends too. You know, but I did read a few other things about him being kind of upset about him being pestered and not being able to walk down the street, that kind of thing. While I can appreciate that, you know, there's five people who've lost their parents here, the very people who brought them into the world and raised them, they're both gone now. So grandkids, them becoming grandparents, etc., if they weren't already, that's all off the table. So he, unfortunately, the last person to see them alive, according to him, that's the burden that he has to carry. And it's tough, I'm sure, but nowhere near as tough as what Ray, Jenny and their kids have had to endure. And it's a natural human inclination, isn't it, Chloe, when someone who seemingly might have answers clams up and gives you nothing. Human nature has people probing and poking more. It's difficult to make sense of the tale we've heard from him. None of that makes the guy bad, evil, complicit, or involved in their death or disappearance, but it does prompt a head scratch or two. For me, it's either the accident angle involving the dog taking off, possibly, and Jenny became lost, disoriented, perished, and simply hasn't been found, or it's foul play at the hands of someone unknown. For what reasons? Possibly the thrill or motivated by gain if the couple had struck gold. I tend to lean that way because of the number of things not lining up that are seemingly out of character and remain unexplained, combined with Jenny still being missing. I think she probably would have been found if it was accidental, but who knows? That's my two cents. I hope Jenny is found and may Ray rest in peace and my thoughts are with uh, their friends and family. Yeah, definitely. So um, that's that case done. And like we said, if anyone knows anything or thinks they have information, please contact the authorities. Yeah, and we'll have that in the show notes as well. Yeah, we will. So moving on then, Sean, your happy thought this week. Yeah, my happy thoughts is around uh, some merch. So we got uh, our first batch of T-shirts in, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Um, And we'll be hopefully rolling them out in store form in the next um, few weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that, guys. Yeah, it'll be awesome. You guys can walk around with our stuff on you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What's your happy thought? My happy thought is, so it's kind of, a bit lazy, but that I just had a really good weekend away. Um, I went away last weekend and I went and saw family that I haven't seen in 20-ish years. So it was so good to see them. Um, We had a really great dinner with them and went somewhere coastal and it was sunny and super pretty and warmish. It was like 20 degrees, which felt warm. I could wear thongs. Warm for Victorians. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, So, yeah, that's mine. It's back to the grind now, but it was a good weekend. Good. Good. Glad you enjoyed yourself. I did. I'm glad you're back. 
Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, we didn't not see each other for the right amount of time, but yeah, no, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just knowing I'm around. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> so if you have any case suggestions, feedback or questions, you can email us at truebluecrime at gmail.com. You can join our Facebook group, which is called True Blue True Crime Dash Podcast, and you can find us on Instagram by searching True Blue Crime. If you'd like to support the show, you can head on over to our Patreon page. The link is in the show notes. For $5 per month, you'll get ad-free regular episodes, bonus monthly Blue Label episodes, case updates, debriefs, blooper reels, and much more. We have a new Blue Label episode out now on the murder of Michelle Reynolds, which is a very sad and dark tale that happened in 2012. So if you need some more True Blue and want to support what we currently do on the main feed too, head on over to patreon.com forward slash Crime. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us a lot and helps other people find the show. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.